welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., and today I'm so excited! I'm going to be interviewing James Reynolds. He's an Emmy Award-winning daytime actor. He's played the role of Abe Carver on Days of Our Lives since 1981, although he's had many incarnations as far as what he's done. On Days of Our Lives. He's also gone off and worked on some other shows, so we're going to talk about that. But I'm so excited to talk to him because I played a police officer on Days of Our Lives, and Abe Carver was my boss. <laughs> I think this is just going to be so much fun. So just FYI, I try to keep these intros as short as I possibly can. Three minutes or under, so here we go. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast, and it's supported by listeners. It's woman-run, and I don't use or have corporate backers. Eventually, I will have advertisers, but I'll get into that a little bit later on. <laughs> if you enjoy today's show, please take a look at the About page. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup, and you can check out some of my past guests. Most of the time, I interview people about politics, but occasionally I do interview actors like I will be doing today, although I think we will talk a little bit about politics toward the end. If you like the show, please consider becoming a patron for any dollar amount. You could sign up right now for $2, and then later you can decide to upgrade. So here's how my show works. I do two free shows, Mondays and Wednesdays. I follow those up with Kimberly's After Party. Those are for patrons only. And then I do two patrons only shows per month. Right now I'm doing them with Steph Walton. And right now she is looking for a job. So I'm not sure exactly where those are going to go. But for right now, those are available. If you sign up as a patron for $4 or less, you get access to the two free shows. Plus you get one patrons only show with Stephanie. If you sign up for $5 or more, you get access to everything. Everything delivered to your email box. You get the two free shows, the Kimberly's After Parties, and the two patrons-only shows. I should say two free shows per week. So like I said, patreon.com slash startmeup. You can find all the tiers and information there. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email so that you can use that with PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just make sure to stop by the Apple slash iTunes store and become a subscriber. It's free. And while you're there, I'd really appreciate it if you give me a review and a rating. Thank you to everybody who does. And now that's it. Please enjoy my conversation with actor James Reynolds. Welcome to the show, James. Well, thank you very much for having me here. I'm so excited that you're here because, okay, I just, I, I have to tell a couple of stories mm -hmm. for, for the, you know, for the listeners and for you, and then I'm just going to let you go. So just please keep that in mind. But um, first of all, my mom says hi. She played Eliana to the evil Stefano Demira. And then I also really need you to tell Peter Reckel. Does Peter Reckel still work on days? No, he's been gone now for several years. <sighs> Eve. I believe, and I, I intend to reach out to him, and I haven't for a while. I think he's living in New Zealand. Seriously? Wow. I think so. I know he was in Nashville for a while, and uh, I believe he's living in New Zealand, but I'm, I'm going to find out because I really need to uh, reach out to him. Oh, that's interesting. Well, tell him I said hi. And yes, indeed. <laughs> so, okay, here's a couple I of stories. Because you were, you were the police chief or the captain, <laughs> and I was working for you. And um, so there's a couple of stories that I specifically remember that I want to share. First one is, <laughs> and they're always so funny. Uh, there was this one particular day. Now, normally I was, my name on the show was usually like cop number three or cop number two. <laughs> and, so, and so one day they actually gave me a name and they gave me the name Mar Martha. And I was like, Mar oh, no, there's no way. I'm not Martha. <laughs> 
So for the, I don't know if you remember this, but throughout the entire day, I was like, I'm going to give you, because you were supposed to call me Martha. And so I was like, uh-uh, this is not going to happen. So I kept deciding, I'm like, okay, I would come up to you and say, okay, call me Elizabeth. And I'm like, no, 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 not Elizabeth, hold on. And then I'd come back and I'm like, okay, call me Karen. Okay, no, 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 not Karren, hold on. And then I, 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 like, I threw all these names at you. Finally, I think I settled on Natalie. And so then when we did the scene, you just called me Kim. Yeah. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. And then one, one of the other funny things I remember, and I don't know if you remember this, but you had been asked to do like an interview on a chat where it wasn't like a live chat. It was just a text chat. So I somehow I found out about this and I signed up to it. And of course, I signed up with, you know, a fake name. And so I put in my question was like, you know, hey, James, when are you going to hook up with that hot, tall, blonde cop? And you were like, hi, Kimberly. <laughs> you totally knew it was me. Well, I knew the description anyway. <laughs> and then the last story that I'll tell, because this is definitely one of my favorites. Um, OK, so I was doing a scene. You weren't in it, but and I wish I could remember the woman's name and I just can't. But there was a woman who was hiding Jack. So he was hiding underneath her bed in her room. And so as the police officer, I was supposed to go in and search for Jack. And they had me looking like <laughs> they, they had to be creative because there was just like a closet and under the bed. Those were the only two viable places that he could hide. And of course, I couldn't look under the bed because that's where he was. And so I was uh, and so I was visiting my my father in Maryland, who has uh, who was remarried and has a daughter and then. So it was a little, my, my sister who was probably about six and two of her friends and they were twins and they were six and they wanted to watch this, you know, I had, I guess, with me a VHS copy or something like that of that scene where I was looking for Jack. And I mean, I was like looking behind the curtains and, you know, picking up things from the dresser, like he might be under a dish or something because it was just nowhere for me to look. And, Not under, <laughs> and you so, definitely wouldn't look under the bed. <laughs> Never, God forbid. So uh, I leave, you know, I leave, and there's Jack. And those two little girls, her, my my sister's friends, looked up at me after watching what I had just done and seeing that he was hiding under the bed. And the one of the twins looked at me, and she goes, "Are you stupid?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I know, but Elizabeth Karen Kimberly is. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Karen. Oh my God. Okay, enough about me. Let's That's talk about very, you. Very funny. I like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you <laughs> Exactly. You were born in Kansas. So tell me a little. I mean, that's fascinating to me. And, uh, you know, you're you're obviously this big Hollywood dude growing up in a very rural, small town. Very, very small town. Yeah. Small town. So what was that like? What was what was that like? Uh, it's good, actually. Uh, gr- gr- I mean, you know, like all when you're growing up, there's there's uh, there's sort of a combination of good and not so good. Mm-hmm. But the actual for a kid growing up, uh, it, it was it was great because it was, a you know, I, even my little town has changed. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, uh, I, I have a feeling people may lock their doors now. They didn't then. Hmm. No, our door was never locked. We would go wow. away for like two days and come back and the door had not been locked. Wow. It was never, ever, ever locked until, uh, until uh, you know, my mother passed away a few years ago. Hmm. Uh, actually, until I stayed in the house and my, my brother's living there now. Hmm. So never locked. 
and uh, most of the I'm sure most of the homes in the area never locked their doors in, in those days. Yeah. And when you were a little kid, it was great because you we could leave the house in the morning and go out and go anywhere in town and or out of town. We you know uh, since out of town was not very far away. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, play. We'd play. We'd right. play in along creek beds and I mean it's things now people people would desperately protect their children mm-hmm. especially in cities I, mm-hmm. I, I still think in small towns kids get this kind of freedom quite yes. frequently but uh, you know we, we go out and we play along creeks and we had caves and old uh, old shacks that were around and uh, you could go out I had uh, a, a homemade basketball court that I actually made myself wow. uh, in the backyard with two goals and kids would come over and play that or we'd play baseball sometime or ride a bike and when it snowed there was a hill right beside our home and uh we never you know we never really thought about this but we'd the, uh, one of the main roads in the town goes by our house and we'd sled down a hill and nobody ever looked out for it wow <laughs> nobody ever got hit either but nobody we i realize that now we never looked for another car coming wow. down that hill and there were cars coming you know crossways yeah. all the time but it, it, you know we had a great time uh, so it was really from from that standpoint, it was really good, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, but I grew up in an era where, you know, racism was uh, was rampant. Even though in our mm-hmm. little town we had we had uh, most of the time there was nothing really overt. The people were always very nice, and my family had been there for over a hundred years. Hmm. Wow, the living was built in 1864. So, wow. uh, and it's still it's still standing and still inhabited now by my brother. That's so, so our family was uh, a part of that community, and, and uh, uh, you know, but there all there were always things mm-hmm. and uh, that went on, and um, so you had you had to learn that and learn that fairly fairly quickly. But it wasn't the overwhelming. Uh, for a, a young boy, it wasn't mm-hmm. the overwhelming uh, issue. Later, later, his life went on. Mm-hmm. When he became a teenager, you know that that then things started to change a little bit. Wow, that's interesting. So I imagine being living through the Trump administration was so much fun for you. Um, oh God, I <laughs> not ever in my life yeah. experienced. I, I didn't think it was possible. I really didn't. Me I neither. People, you know, and I think most Americans are. No matter where you're where you stand politically, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it, it can't happen here. That's what yeah. we kept saying. Yeah. It can't happen here, but it did. But it and did, we were yeah. on the very edge of, of becoming a totalitarian government. Yes. And I mean, I've said this so many times on my show, but I had the uh, wonderful experience to live in Russia when my, my dad worked for ABC News. And so in 1980, 81, huh? I lived in Moscow and went to school there. And so I got to experience what it was like to live. I mean, that was a communist Soviet com- country. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it really freaked me out when uh, I understood what was involved with Trump and Putin and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I remember thinking early on that it wouldn't take very long for America to completely devolve into an unrecognizable nation. And I think, you know, we're, we're close. We're, we got, you know, we became so close to losing everything. And now yes, we we're basically uh, going to have to fight every election. Um, but but back to you, I wanted to know, I mean, for, I want to get into um, the fact that you interviewed Jack Nicholson, Michael Douglas, and Peter Fonda. But before I yeah. ask you that, because that's so freaking cool, uh, before I ask you that, I wanted to know, did you always want to be an actor like when you were a kid? Uh, 
I wanted to be a lot of things when I was a kid. I remember <laughs> in uh, Boy Scout camp, I made this leather belt. You know, they give you this leather stuff, and you, you, and so I decided my belt was going to be about all the things I wanted to be. And I don't know where that belt is today. I wish I could find it. <laughs> but anyway, it had. I don't think I had act on it. I, I really grew up wanting to be a writer because I. I, I was and still am a voracious reader, and that's mm-hmm. what I really wanted to do. But um, but I wrote that on it. I wanted to grow up and go uh, to law school and write a column for the Washington Post. That was my wow. overwhelming ambition, and, and hopefully a, a couple of novels along the way. But you know, I had I think I had president even on that on that belt, and uh, hmm. oh, wow. uh, general. I was going to you know I was very. <laughs> I love history, so I was very involved in. Uh, I love the military history and all that. I think General was on it. I think maybe everything but actor was on that. But but <laughs> that was an ambition, you know, in a small way, not not writ large. It mm-hmm. was just if it, if the opportunity came along, I'd take it. Right. But you know, that's the naivete of being twelve years old. <laughs> but uh, no, it it, it kind of happened by accident. It was always in the. In the back of my head, um, when I was in the Marine Corps, my first duty station uh, from this little town was Hawaii, and that was an island, hmm. and a, a really great, a great place to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and uh, they were they were casting a movie there, and I thought, oh man, should I do this? <laughs> this might this might be okay. But I was I was a really shy kid, even yeah. though I did all the school plays and all that sort of thing, and had fun. Right, I did had fun with that we only had like the junior senior play and hmm. and it, well uh, our english teacher would uh, present an afternoon of skits or something but um you know it was later when i went to uh, college and i had just gotten out of the marine corps just got back from uh, vietnam and uh, uh, i met a, a friend of mine who was still one of my closest friends and uh uh he uh, we were having a conversation about where to where to meet women and at, at school <laughs> <laughs> and uh so he said well you know I, i'm i'm a theater major and, and we're casting a play tonight why don't you come over and read for it and i thought well you know sure why not and so i did and surprisingly i got cast in, wow. in a pretty significant role in that piece and and he was right it was a good place to uh, <laughs> to meet the ladies and I, yeah, never look back again <laughs> So, okay, and then, okay, now you worked as a reporter, mm-hmm. and you interviewed Jack, how did that happen where you interviewed Jack Nicholson, Michael Douglas, and Peter Fonda? I was, uh, I was a, a writer for the, uh, the local paper, which is one of the two bigger papers in Kansas, the Topeka Daily Capital, uh, which is actually, or was a really good paper, I, I haven't read it for a while, but uh uh, particularly their, their photographers won a couple of Pulitzer Prizes, I believe. But um, I, I was a, a reporter. I, I had this uh, strangely because I I was ext- most of my life have been extremely shy. I still am actually, and I live a quiet, <laughs> uneventful life. Uh, but uh, but I, I I seldom had a problem selling myself for a job. Strangely and. I don't know what it was. I would walk in uh, equitable insurance, for instance, you know, in that in that little bit of time where I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was out of the Marine Corps and I was on my way to college and and uh, I was uh, actually got recruited by equitable uh, for some reason. And they loved me all the way through until I took the uh, the personality test. And they said, well, your, your test, you know, it's 
it just skews like you're too artistic and uh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, we don't we don't really want those people around. Wow. <laughs> no, they they still wanted me. Actually, they were going to make an exception. Yeah. Oh wow. And, uh, that was that was it. There's another word for it. It's, it slips my mind at the moment, but uh, that he actually used. But that's what it came down to. You're you're just a little too free with your thoughts, and. Um, uh, so, you know, I, for some reason I didn't, but anyway, I had written in the Marine Corps. I was a journalist in the Marine Corps, okay. uh, because my, my desire to write and the recruiter had lied to me, uh, until, and I knew all, everything about the Marine Corps because I had read all of the, you know, just for years, I, I had wanted to be a, a Marine for years hmm. and thought about going to Annapolis and realized I'd probably flunk out for <laughs> a year or two. And, uh, it didn't. So I enlisted, but I, but he lied to me and said I could become a writer. Hmm. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, good. Yeah, I was 17 years old, still in still in high school. Wow. And uh, but when it came time, they had a test. They had a test for two things. And this is the back in the day where uh, uh, officers still had uh, uh, people that waited on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think of the term for that as well. You see, all my all my words are leaving me now. Um, <laughs> that happens to me every day. So Stuart, don't worry about Stuart. it. Stuart, that was it. <laughs> okay. Stuart. And. Uh, so you could put right at the top of the top of the test, you could write steward or uh, journalist. And I thought, whoa, hmm. journalist. And I didn't realize that it was just my chance and that the recruiter had lied to me until even a little bit later. But I, I ended up getting the high score of my what they called series. It's like a company in boot camp. Mm-hmm. And my platoon, the series, the larger number of people. And uh, I got the higher score. And I ended up, me and one other guy ended up becoming journalists. And uh, so Hawaii was my first duty station, and I had written for the the base newspaper there and did a number of things around that were pretty fascinating and learned how to write mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and cover stories and, and do all that, even though I was still barely, I was still 17 part of the time, barely 18 for most of it. And then I went to Vietnam and uh, continued to do that. I, uh uh, with a lot of articles that appeared in civilian newspapers and uh, Stars and Stripes and the magazine called Leatherneck and just a lot of uh, a lot of things. So I, 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 I was a legitimate writer and I walked into the Capitol one day when I was in college and uh, I had been reading their uh, cultural their reviews cultural reviews and uh, said you really need a, you need a critic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know who's writing for you, but you need. Some- do that and they agreed and that night there was a play uh in town they got you know traveling shows and uh and i don't remember the name but i do remember that um uh imaging coca oh wow and jones who were married starred in it and of course i thought yeah wow imaging coca yeah uh, and <laughs> So I, I went over and, and wrote the review, and they, they had only said, can you can you put together something in 10 minutes? And uh, I said, sure. So I went to the play and and uh, came back, because I didn't combat reporting, so, you know, that was no big task for me. And um, came back and, and uh, wrote it up, and they said, good. And they decided to pay me by the article, hmm. which was their first big mistake. And then they gave me miles. <laughs> Second big mistake. So I covered everything. <laughs> if you were doing a dance or a play or a concert, and I would drive. I, I drive over 100 miles sometimes to hmm. see a play. 
at the local colleges and things like that uh, because I got paid by the article yeah. and, and the. So uh, <laughs> that kept me going. That the GI Bill kept me going for uh, for a couple years there until uh, until the theater led me uh, led me down this path that I'm on now. Wow. And the, and and so where did uh, those movie stars come into play? How did you get to interview Jack Nicholson? Well, the um, uh, in, in those days, the movie uh, producers alliance, basically the 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 venue the theaters it wasn't movie producers alliance it was the uh, uh, movie theater people mm. had their convention in Kansas City and um, and then later they discovered oh there's a there's a city called Las Vegas why don't we go there <laughs> <laughs> might be more fun and so, <laughs> so ultimately they they ended yeah. up moving there but while it was in Kansas City uh, I was asked to uh, by the paper to go I was sent put up in a hotel and, uh, you know, and, and asked to do these interviews. And it was, it was wonderful. Wow. It, 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 you know, what was interesting, there were, there were a number of interesting things about it because over the years I have not met anybody that I interviewed, which is really in, in this life, which is too bad because mm-hmm. I look forward to it in some, at some point, and I know some aren't around anymore, but um, the, uh, everybody's so nice to me. Yeah. Every, I mean, whether they, whether they were nice because they were selling a movie, mm-hmm. most of them were, or, uh, uh, you know, whatever it was at that moment, everybody was really very, very kind. And I've learned from other journalists over the years <laughs> that that's not always the experience. Right. <laughs> but uh, everybody's so nice. And everybody uh, extended the interview. Hmm. Everybody wanted to extend the interview, which I, which I also thought yeah. was very good. I think part of it was that I didn't necessarily stay on topic and so we kind of had a conversation yeah and uh so maybe that had something to do with it um i was young so that that probably helped too uh and uh so you know it was it was great uh michael douglas's first movie called adam at 6 a.m uh <laughs> with uh gosh who, who did he co-start with in that uh, uh he you know that was uh that was his first and i've been wanting over the years to, to uh, somehow run into him and say, I know you remember me, but. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's ago, really cool. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. And everybody was great. And I think that began to sharpen my desire to uh, mm-hmm. stay in the theater. Yeah. Uh, it, um, you know, besides having this background, this new background of being an arts critic. Uh, and, and admittedly, I knew very little about a lot of what I was covering and I should, probably should apologize to all the readers out there. But, uh, but, you know, I knew enough to get by and keep going for yeah. a while and get another job. When I moved to Colorado Springs, I did literally the same thing. Walked wow. into the Colorado Springs sun office and said, Hey, I'm a writer and your person isn't very good. <laughs> so that's what happened. That's so cool. You know, that's so funny because when I when I did my first book with my mom, which is called The Virgin Diaries, you know, she she had a bigger role on the show than I did as Eliana. Um, I love to say as the the, the maid to e- the evil Stefano Demira. Um, but <laughs> you know, enough where she collected insurance from SAG-AFTRA and she was invited to the 37th uh, anniversary party. I never got that far. That's wonderful. But we definitely used Days of Our Lives mm-hmm. to, you know, 
like, look, it's kind of the same thing. You know, I mean, I my mom is a writer. She's like a legit writer. But I was not when I came out with this book. And basically, this book was a collection of stories from other people. So I can't officially say, I mean, I did author the book in that I wrote, the you know, the beginning of the book and I formed the questions and all of that. But I didn't write the bulk of the book. Um, but it was just kind of this thing. Like, What's the What's the name of the book? It's called The Virgin Diaries. That was oh, the, that, that was what you did about that. At some yes, point. I did. I contacted you about possibly doing a play. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting subject. I'm actually, I'm I'm going to get it and, and read it. <laughs> well, I, I, well, before you do, I have to tell you things. But anyway, um, you I, know, and basically the thing is, is that what I what I learned actually from doing that book was the way that I formed my questions. I would say, you know. Did you, how did you feel during X? Was it, were you happy? Were you sad? And I noticed that people would use the ad- adjectives that I provided as opposed to coming up with their own. And so yeah. I would, I would now, if I had it to do all over again, which I've, I've not thrown out the idea of, of putting together a new book. I, I do like um, the, the book that we put together because we, we interviewed 72 men and women. Six of them were gay. We wish we could have had more uh, members of the LGBTQ. QT community, but I was not at that time really online. I didn't have any kind of platform, and I think I could get stories much faster from a much more broad, you know, uh, audience. And anyway, so, but the thing is, is that when we were, you know, pushing ourselves, is when I was started out on this, like, I'm a writer, I'm an author, and I was on days. That's <laughs> just kind of like, you know, I just threw myself out there because I wanted yeah. to have this new career. I had gone from actor to salesperson, to writer, and then now I'm doing podcasting, which is a whole nother story. But that's kind of like what you were saying is I kind of employed the same, you know, idea of like, I'm here and you will like me. So (laughs) it's interesting how how that how that does work, because Mm -hmm. I I, I'm pretty much unqualified for anything. (laughs) um, You know, there's nothing I'm really qualified to do. And uh, so this if this uh, line of this career goes south, I'm (laughs) <laughs> well, okay. Now speaking of that, first of all, school, I could sneak into law school. <laughs> That's not going to work very well, and uh, so I, I can complete that dream. But no, I know, I know how, how it feels. Well, you are okay. So let's get into days of our lives because for now, I have to say mm-hmm. that uh, this is one more tiny story. When I was nine, and this kind of connects to the Virgin Diaries, which is funny. But when I was nine. My mo- I was living in Baltimore, Maryland, and my mother decided she had wanted to move to, uh, when I was eight, she wanted, she was like, okay, I'm going to move to California. And yep. so she saved up money, and during the summer when I was nine, I stayed with my grandmother, and she drove across country and got us all set up. So during that time when I was at my grandmother's, I was bored one summer day, turn on the TV, and the scene that, like, that, you know, I'm switching the channels and stop on Days of Our Lives, because the scene that was on was, and I don't remember his name, but it was Marlena's boyfriend. He had dark curly hair. It was back in the 77. And that's uh, Roman. That's the first Roman. No, it wasn't Roman. It was before Roman. It was. Oh, this is before. Oh, that was uh, Jed Allen who passed away, unfortunately, about oh. three years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, and then he had, I guess, a son or a daughter. I don't remember, but it was basically their kids and they were going to have first time sex. They were like uh, teenagers. They had a son, but they hadn't had sex yet. No, 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 no. Okay, here, I didn't say it right. So I don't remember who it was. I don't remember. I All I remember, it was someone, I think it was the daughter of Marlena's boyfriend or something like that. Okay, so that, that, it could have been his son or his daughter, but it was the daughter. She was a teenager. And she was, the scene was the two teenagers. 
and they were going to have first time sex. And I was nine and a total prude, but fascinated. Like it just like I got hooked and that became my, you know, that was the start of my relationship with Days of Our Lives, which was a huge part of my life. And I started watching it alone. And then I watched it with my paternal grandmother. We watched it a lot together. Then I watched it with my mother. I got my boyfriend in high school and my friends in high school turned on to it. And then, and then what's so funny is that, okay, I worked at the Broadway. It's no longer there, but it was a department store, the Broadway in the Glendale Galleria. And yeah. during that time, my mother... I do everything my mother does. And so at the time she was trying to get into acting at that point I was not, but she did extra work on days of our lives. And then I would see people like Drake Hogeston and other days actors coming in. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, eventually I go into acting studio. I, I was in the Dvorak and company acting studio and found out because we had this, um, we, after we graduated our, you know, I studied the Meisner technique and after we graduated, we invited casting directors in, and agents so they could see us perform and hopefully we would get hired. So we found out that our coach knew Fran Bascom very well. She was a casting director for days. Yeah, no, Fran was a good friend of ours. She was such a sweet woman. I loved her. And so, yeah, we pressured him forever. We're like, you got to get her in there. So eventually, finally, we got Fran in. And it was so funny because everybody from my acting studio eventually worked on days. But my mother and I, my mother getting the most work, I think I probably got yeah. the second you know, I, I worked more than the other cast members just because I was a member of the of Salem PD. <laughs> but it was really amazing because the first scene that I was in on that show was with two of my classmates. So not only did I feel comfortable because I felt like I knew everybody on the set. And, uh, you know, it was funny because Mickey Horton um I met him that day. You know, I mean, I'm remembering him from my childhood and everything, you know, leading up to it. But I remember he did the impression of Donald Duck saying "fuck you," and I was like, "Oh my god, I love this! This was, it was oh, so you know awesome." Forgotten about that? He did, he did that the time. <laughs> it was that, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like that was the most fun thing. Like I, all my life, there was some kind of connection to Days of Our Lives, and yeah. you know, and so then, and then I got to work with you, and that was always such a blast. But the the cool thing is that the Abe Carver, uh, let's see, I, I'm just going to read this directly from your enormous lengthy bio um it, you you are so accomplished it's unbelievable but it says james is now acknowledged to have played one character abe carver longer than any african-american actor in network television history daytime or nighttime a run that has resulted in three thousand hours of network television you also won an emmy which is not surprising, but that is so awesome so i just want to know i want to know the story uh you started in 1981 correct I did, yeah. So, yeah. how did that come about? Uh, well, that was kind of an interesting story in a in a way, well, to me anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was very I was very lucky from the beginning. I, I actually did my. I'm going backwards a long way to to explain this. Okay. But I did my first uh, commercial and first film. I was uh, in Col living in Colorado Springs. I moved there in order to be part of a uh, theater company mm -hmm. that ended up going bankrupt and I managed it into its bankruptcy. I was not, I was hired as a writer, but the, uh, the fellow who owned the company, it was going downhill fast and he wanted out. So he said, can you take over and lower this company into the grave gently? <laughs> and I, I'm good at that. So uh, <laughs> ultimately that's, that's what I ended up doing. And mm -hmm. that's when I 
then went into the Colorado Springs Sun and and sold myself as a columnist. I actually became a columnist there uh, and edited a magazine called The Peak Magazine, which was sort of a regional uh, magazine. And I was the editor of that. And um, so by doing that somewhere along the line, being Colorado, uh, there was an actor, an old actor uh, named Richard Erdman, who was kind of a big deal in, in Hollywood back in, I think, the 30s and 40s. I seem to remember him in late night uh, TV. He was always the best friend of the lead mm-hmm. as a, he was a teenager, I think, back in those days. And he had kind of become an agent slash casting director uh, late in his life and living in Colorado. So a uh, commercial came up and uh, for Primatine Mist, and I, mm-hmm. I was born with asthma, which oh, is another wow. story I'll have to tell at some time. And um, uh, so I did that commercial. I didn't mention my name. He said James Reynolds. You know, I was playing basketball. And it was great. So I made a lot of money off of that commercial. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, strangely enough, every time I thought I would actually have to go out and get a real job, uh, a check showed up in my mailbox. It was astounding how, wow. how that how that worked out. Uh, but from that came a movie and came into town called Mr. Majestic with Charles Bronson. Mm-hmm. And they uh, were shooting in La Junta. Colorado, which was about 80 miles from Colorado Springs, and uh, um, it was the last location that they could shoot this particular these these scenes where mm-hmm. most of the movie was uh, set. And uh, uh, I got a, a pretty key role in that film early in, and I'm in it early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, small role, but was key, and it was three days of work that actually turned into six weeks. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, that was another thing that kind of convinced me I was on the right track because. Every morning, you go up to the window and get your per diem, and the per diem was more than I was making. Wow. <laughs> I was thinking, I thought, this, isn't, this might not be a bad business. Maybe right. theater stuff isn't what it's cracked up to be. It's not that much. And um, uh, so that's how it happened. So I came to, came to L.A. Uh, fairly quickly within the first year or so. I got a, a, another series called Keeper. I got a series called Keeper of the Walk. And uh, I'd actually moved here. Uh, I, I came to L.A. for a few weeks before and, and auditioned and actually screen tested for uh, a role that a good friend of mine got. And uh, so that also made me think, oh, this isn't that mm-hmm. hard. Uh, <laughs> there two weeks and I got a screen test. Um, so when I went back after I was I had another theater contract that I had to fulfill and I did that. And uh, so I came to L.A. Uh, for the uh, for good. And um, I did a uh, show called Keeper Keeper of the Wild, and uh, it was a series. It was a syndicated series that Mm -hmm. uh, we did several episodes, and um, uh, that was great. That was a great experience, you know, and and once again, I'm thinking, whoa, you know, this is pretty good. And um, and that show was eventually was not picked up after several episodes. They canceled it. And I moved on and was living an actor's life and uh, working here and there. And I did I did learn that one job should be two jobs, and uh, it seemed to work out for me quite often. Mm-hmm. Then I did another series for uh, uh, for CBS that had the same producer's keeper of the wild, and he hired me for a series with uh, Vincent Price. Oh wow! And, uh, and Coral Brown, who was his wife at the time, and well, it was his wife for the rest of his life, and. Um, it was the only series he ever did, and mm-hmm. what a lovely man he was. Hmm. He was a lovely man. And um, and I was the young guy on that show, so mm-hmm. I got to do all the young guy stuff. I got to do, you know, 
this. And I was the connecting tissue. It was about a train that took you back to relive a moment in your past. Oh, wow. And I was the connector of that. I would go occasionally visit the guest star. You know, this is one of those things where every week you'd have mm-hmm. like three uh, celebrity guest stars. Mm-hmm. And they lived this experience that they wanted to change about their lives. So that was wonderful. I loved doing that. Yeah. Loved doing it. Shot at Warner Brothers. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, life was rolling along. That series died uh, on CBS. We were up against some little thing that had very little success called Mork and Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> that killed us. Uh, and uh, so I have another story about that, but I won't go into it now. Uh, that whole thing, which was very funny. Um, so, you know, I was essentially out of work. I was doing something every now and then. I did... I did, uh, I think, a movie with Lassie and, and Jimmy Stewart, who was another really great guy. Oh. You, know, you know, we're early 80s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, my agent called me and said, you know, there's a series called Days of Our Lives. And, you know, I'm very good friends with the uh, with the owner of that time at that time. And um, uh, that was that was uh, Mrs. Corday, who was the uh, you know, it was a, it's a family show and still is mm-hmm. Ken, Ken yes. their son. Uh, is the one who runs it and a friend of mine. And um, now, and so she said, but they don't want to see you. <laughs> what? They don't want to see you. I, this is on CBS. What are you talking about? And they didn't. They they saw pretty much every black actor that fell into my category in town. I knew people who, who had, uh, you know, who had been up for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it turns out, unbeknownst to me, till many, many years later, uh, that they had the, the role was somebody else's. Uh, hmm. They had decided on somebody, but my agent, having uh, contact with Betty Corday, yeah. uh, got me in for a reading. So I, I went in and read, and um, for the casting director Bob Edmondson at that time, and uh, he said, "You know, I think we may need to. The producers may need to see you, hmm. and you." Uh, Friday, I think this was a Wednesday, I don't remember. But uh, can you come back? And I said, sure, absolutely. And uh, so I came back. The room was, you know, you know how those offices are. Fairly small office, mm-hmm. packed, packed with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they must have grabbed everybody in the hallway. Hmm. You know, that that's what happens when you, you know, it gets near yeah. the end. They, everybody comes in to see whoever it is. And mm-hmm. I've had that experience many times before and since. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did my reading and by the time I got home, I had a message waiting for me that said, uh, you know, uh, we, we want you to, my agent called and said, you got the role and, uh, they want you to start on Monday. And <laughs> literally by the time I hung up this, these stacks of scripts, oh, wow. about six scripts. And I thought, they want me to know all this by Monday. <laughs> and, and they, the only question they really asked is, can you learn lines really fast? And mm-hmm. they said, yeah, of course. I've never been tested in that way. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, you know, I said, sure. Uh, thinking, I mean, I, I, it was true as far as I was concerned. Uh, and fortunately, it has, has been true ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did. I put, I kind of locked in the first two and part of the third one mm-hmm. and uh, went to work on uh, that, that Monday and uh, have only looked back. I've looked back a couple of times, but <laughs> <laughs> well, in reality, considered uh, something else uh, a few times over the years since. But uh, right, it turned that was the moment. 
So aside from the scenes that you and I did together, what are some of the standout moments on days? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I had to ask you that. But um, <laughs> I do want to know, though, because I, I know you had spelled it out in your bio, but I didn't take notes on this. Uh, I knew you as the police captain, I'm, I'm assuming, police chief, right? But you also yeah. played like the mayor, too, right? Yeah, I'm the mayor now. Oh, yeah. you're, you're the mayor now. Okay, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. Who took over for you as police captain? Well, uh, yeah, I was captain. When I started on the show, I was a sergeant. Okay. And Lane and I came on at the same time. Roman and Abe were right. meant to be this couple of guys who had grown up together and went in the police department together and are best friends. We're best friends and are best friends. Uh, and um, so that was that was the, the concept. Uh, my character showed up about six weeks before Wayne's did, Okay, actually. And... Um, I came on as a sergeant, and then over the years, you know, we both got promoted pretty much at the same time. And then the uh, and then Wayne left the show, uh, first time he left the show, and uh, they decided that uh, you know I should I should be promoted ahead of him, which I well yeah that's probably a good idea. Uh, and uh, actually, I came up with the idea, but um, they did, and that's when I was captain. I was promoted to captain and ran the police department. And I pretty much was in charge, and still am, from that point on. Then I became commissioner. I skipped over the chief. Mm-hmm. I killed the chief <laughs> one, not promoted, but I, <laughs> I killed him because he had kidnapped Marlena, of course. Oh well, of course. And, then he, ha- he must yeah, and die. He killed my brother. Killed my brother, Theo. Oh, that's right. Then, yeah, he killed him. So I went. On, I went on a vengeance uh, run, <laughs> and, uh, and I was. I was. I was shooting everything in sight. <laughs> And eventually I killed the chief. Wow. So that was the, but I became commissioner. I skipped over that position was so tarnished. I went straight to commissioner. Wow. And then from commissioner, uh, you know, I was thinking, well, uh, I need to, uh, you know, something else needs to be done. Because commissioner Willard really wasn't allowing me to do as much yeah. as I thought I should do. And I, I actually walked up uh, the stairs and said, you know, I think Abe, one of the things Abe could do is become mayor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, They've been pretty responsive most of the time to mm-hmm. things I've asked for. And uh, they said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. And so I was. Uh, and, and Well, you know, I actually lost my first run for mayor. Hmm. But then, fortunately, I ran against a bad guy and he got arrested. And so I was appointed mayor the oh. first time. I've actually lost more than I've won. (laughs) (laughs) But when I lose, it's usually to a bad guy and I get appointed mayor. Right. (laughs) Now, I used to laugh at the the cops on that show because there was always like a number of us that we all knew each other. You know, they would they would call us in because we were the Salem PD. And I remember there was this one show where we were looking for a murder weapon and I think I can't remember the exact line and he must have said it to you. But this other cop came up to you when you said, go out and search. And I think his reaction was, but it's dark outside. (laughs) 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 And then the the only thing that I, I, I can complain about, because I was I was just I loved working on that show. I desperately wanted to be a contract player, but I felt I did feel like my height maybe might have gotten in the way. I was pretty much taller than every man on that show. And I was also, even though I wasn't, 
<laughs> I wasn't fat. I was yeah. not Hollywood skinny. And I didn't, you know, I mean, I didn't fit into a size zero at all. In fact, I was in a dressing room of one of the actresses uh, on her day off. And I remember mm-hmm. a pair of pants were hanging on the door and they were a size zero. And I was like, I, I couldn't even get my big toe in these pants. <laughs> and it was like, but they would well, give me. As I recall, you're always very, very trim and also very tall. But the uh, but today, see, that wouldn't that wouldn't be a, a, an impediment at all. We huh. have several. We have several actresses, I think, who are taller than a lot of the men. Really? That's uh, good to know. Yeah. Right now, well, at least three uh, that uh, Ari, Ari uh, certainly uh, was one of them. Yes. Ari Zucker. Yes. And, um, you know, there there are a few. So that, that would be much less of an impediment today. Right. Well, and I mean, I remember at the time it was... Uh, you know, I have to say it was not days of our lives, but, and I've talked about this at length on my podcast, but I suffered because of, and you know, you, you saw me, you saw me at my most thin and you know, the, I was probably in my prime as far as my youth. Um, but I have suffered through body hatred and uh, severe insecurity. I mean, I was, I experienced, and I, I don't have it so much anymore, but I had adult acne and that was always something that bothered me. In fact, in fact, there was this one time when, I mean, you know, they would randomly call me and say, hey, we'd like to have you for a day or two or whatever it was that they called me for. So mm-hmm. I would work a, a prox, like, I can't say it was not always the same, but sometimes I'd work for a week and I'd work every day for a week and then I wouldn't work again for several months. And then they'd call me in for one day and then two days, you know, so it's totally random. But there was this one particular time when they called me and I had had, um, and this is a, a gross story, but. I was broken out and I had on the, on my cheek, I had these three gigantic, they, they were uh, cysts. They weren't just pimples. They were cysts. And they had formed this one, like they came together to form this like zit the size of a quarter. And it was humiliating. And I got called in and I lied and I told them that I had hives or something like that. And I felt so guilty and I felt like, Oh my God, they're never going to call me back because I'm turning down work. And Thankfully, they did. But uh, I was just way too humiliated to go in. I just couldn't do it. But um, it was definitely the thing that I can complain about, though, about that show was and I complained every single time. But there was this one particular day they, you know, the pants that I wore as the police officer, I think Mm -hmm. they were for men. Because the hips were so tight. They fit me as far as like my thighs and everything they fit. But the hips were just so tight. But they were always high water pants. And I was, I would always complain and I'd like, can, can we get, you know, some longer police officer pants? And I remember the person, you know, giving me my outfit that day was saying, don't worry, they're not going to shoot your whole body. And of course that particular day, yeah, they the shoot day my whole body. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Ugh. we all know how that is. <laughs> but it was, it was like such a joy for me to be on that show and, you know, feeling like I had known everybody. And I also want to just give a shout out to Deirdre Hall, uh, Marlena because she, there was this one particular show where we were doing a, a scene that required all of the actors. It was a party scene, and it was going well into the evening, probably about 11 o'clock, and people were starting to get punchy and making jokes and slowing down the filming, and Marlena was pissed. You know, she's just like, come on, people, we want to go home. And so it was like, ooh, don't mess with Marlena. And so, you know, we did a, we did a rehearsal, and I was delivering my lines, and, and then we were going to take a little break before we shot the scene. And in the, during the break, 
she came up to me and she was so incredibly gracious and sweet. And she told me, she's like, you know what? If you know, if you want to get the best lighting, you should stand this way and you should look at the camera. And it was like, she, there was no reason for her to be helpful to me in that moment. And it, I just will never forget that. It was just so, so cool. But, um, I, and I loved working with you because you and I always had a lot of fun. But like, do you do you have any like standout moments uh, that you know? I mean, I know that. Okay, now I have not watched the show for a while um, mm-hmm. because I'm obsessed with politics. But evidently, I heard Days killed you off. There was a serial killer. Uh, yes, I was dead for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's one of those moments. Uh, and then when I said I uh, had, uh, you know certainly considered uh leaving which i've done a few times right uh no that was that was uh uh as it turns out uh a story moment there were 10 of us all of us were uh long time popular characters mm-hmm. all 10 of us roman was one of them i was dead uh the final one was was francis reed she was the last oh person my to die God. Wow. yeah so a lot of people uh matt ashford uh i don't think I'm not sure if Marlena was or not, but um, we were all dead and uh, we've been killed in various ways. Of course, Stefano tried to do away with everybody. And then my wife, who was the doctor, the head of the hospital, mm-hmm. pronounced me dead. <laughs> Whoa. She, well, her own husband dead. Wow. And I all, it looked like I was dead. I was, uh, you know, been shot so many times, but that, that looked like I was. So it was six months hmm. of, um, not really knowing if I was dead or not. And so, uh, you know, that was the only time that my character had sort of been killed off, but Mm -hmm. not really. Uh, I've been shot a lot. I've got five bullets still in my head. (laughs) I couldn't just couldn't get them out. Wow. That's crazy. Off every alarm at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) And then you also went on to, um, work on the show generations yes yes which was a joy i just had a great time with that show that happened uh in the early 90s i had um uh actually i had tested for a role in generations before uh before i actually did that show i think they had wanted me on that show kind of from the beginning but the way it was working they were going with uh, a lot of primetime people Mm -hmm. uh, early early on and um, Richard Roundtree ended up doing the role that I had tested for, which I don't necessarily think was the role they wanted me for. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the uh, uh, the actor who was playing wasn't meeting their expectations of what they wanted from that character. Not not it from. He's a very talented, very well known actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure, you could figure it out if I. But I'm just mm-hmm. not comfortable saying his name yeah uh, and and uh and he's a very friendly sweet man we've gotten to know each other since and i'm uh, was happy about that and he seemed to harbor no resentment because i had no control right uh, just, <laughs> exactly yeah, job offer uh and so that that was very very nice of him and yeah. uh, uh i see would see him periodically but uh so when it came time to replace him they just literally called and said you know we want you to do this. Do you want to, do you want to do it? And NBC wants you to do this. And do you want to do it? And uh, I was doing nothing on days of our lives. Mm-hmm. I was, a, you know, I'd go in for a, a coffee pouring, what I call a coffee pouring scene. And mm-hmm. uh, that was literally it a couple times a week. And, and so I was looking to leave actually. 
uh, which may have been which may have been the thinking about behind them not doing much writing much for me. <laughs> but they wanted to drive me to quitting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they finally got that my that wish. But it was very nice. Al Raven, who was the producer at that time, and also was a, a friend outside of the show. Um, you know, called me into his office and said, you know, we we're, we're, we understand where you're going. NBC's talked to us and, you know, we know what they want to do. And uh, but know that the door is never closed here. Hmm. And I thought, That's very sweet yeah. and very nice. So I walked away and went basically 50 yards away to uh, we used to shoot in the same studio. The generations were shooting. Hmm. So I didn't have to I didn't have to change my my uh, commute. Right. Yeah. Work. But what a joy. It was Mm -hmm. a half hour show. So we, you know, we shot a little bit. The days were a little bit shorter. Mm -hmm. Uh, The money was good. And uh, I loved the people I worked with and uh, still have several good friends from that show. Christoph St. John, who was a friend of my my son. And um, Mm. uh, a couple of the writers are are still good friends and the producers. Um, So I I enjoyed that experience a lot. And, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a very fortunate guy. I think four, four nighttime series or four yeah. nighttime, two nighttime oh. series and two, two daytime series. Yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, as a, somebody, you know, I mean, I had a completely different experience than you did as an actor in Hollywood. It was not for me easy. It wasn't like I mean, I did. Interestingly, though, I I did always get a call back. If I went yeah. on audition, I good. got a call back. And then I also, there was, the, but this is, this was pretty much my experience in a nutshell. I had an audition for, okay, first of all, we had invited this casting director into what we called was our professional level. That's where we invited Fran Bascom when she came in, she met the people in my, from my acting studio. And so we would, we would invite an, a, a casting director or like for, if we had a casting director, they would bring sides scenes from from you know random scenes and they'd pair us up and then we would do an audition for them and then if they liked us and they would always tell us oh if you're good we'll remember you and we'll call you so we would do our auditions and then you know wait to hear from people so there was this one guy I don't even remember he might have been somebody that I met from that studio but it was I, I was auditioning for VIP which was the Pamela Anderson ridiculous television show and and i'm so not like that that's not my type but um i was supposed to i was reading for the part of i think it was called like a russian ice queen i was like the bad the bad character the evil character Uh, who is a russian and your height would help because that's the stereotype yes ice queen yes and i i fit the bill so i went in there and (laughs) i walk in and there's a room filled with women who are auditioning for the same part who look just like pamela anderson and i'm thinking all right i'm totally gonna book this because (laughs) i don't look like pamela anderson so i go into the room and i talk you know the casting director i sit down and so i said would you like for me to read this in a russian accent which i'm very good at i used to live in russia plus i can do accents so he, right. looked, he looked at me and he's like, well, only if you really can do the accent. And I'm, I'm like, ha ha, step aside. So I do the audition and he's like, wow, can you come back in a couple of hours and meet the producers? Sure. So I go downstairs and I'm like in my car reading the Thomas Guide in a Russian accent just to keep fresh. And then I go back up there. I do the audition. Now, when I did the audition, I was there was a panel of men in chairs just sitting there, maybe six of them. And then across from them was me in, in the chair by myself. So I do the audition. 
people were applauding me. You know that like never happens. These producers were applauding me. I never heard from them. That was it. And it was like, I don't care that I didn't get that part. But but the BS that casting directors would tell you, oh, we always remember you. If you're not right for this part, we're going to we're going to call you back for another part. And so many times I would go in and I would do a genuinely good job. And I, I felt good about it. I got good feedback from it. And then I would never hear from these people again. And I do think sometimes I got in my own way because I had such a negative self image that although I said, Yes. I didn't like That's why you work when you work. Yes. That's why you have a job and you go in for an audition, you get that audition too. Exactly. Yeah. More confident. Yeah, and so I mean I I think to a degree I did come off as confident, but on the other hand, I had this energy about me that was insecure yeah. and afraid and afraid they were going to reject me because of my physical appearance. I was never like not confident about my abilities. It was always chalked up to my appearance and it was like so sad. Well, Sometimes that's it. You know, I, I learned over the years that sometimes it makes a difference if you're six feet tall or, or six feet two. You know, they yeah. uh, one producer said, if you have a mustache, you don't. And that's that's what it comes down to. It just comes down to look. Sometimes yeah. it's uh, sometimes it's talent and sometimes it's look. I do notice, uh, you know, um, how that changes over the years. Mm-hmm. Although if you watch film a lot, you'll see people who look the same even though they're not related but there's mm-hmm. a st- there's a type of person that seemingly always gets mm-hmm. cast and mm-hmm. if it was the 50s or today yeah that's you know they yeah. they get they get cast because they have whatever that look is yeah there's a thing and, and, you know. good who was good as a casting director and then now mentioned her several times was fran Vasco. yeah she actually would remember people she did and yeah, and two years later, you get a call. I told a lot of people that who, who knew Fran or had come in to audition for our theater. Uh, I said, you know, we, we, we will remember. And if something came up that that person fit, uh, you know, all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. let's see if we, if we have her picture. And Fran uh, did that. I mean, mm-hmm. Fran would, uh, people come in all the time and said, I saw her two years ago for this role. And then all of a sudden I get a call. Because she, she yeah. actually did remember. Well, and then there was also, um, I'm sure you knew Ron Sperber, her her assistant. Yes. Uh-huh. He, he was Absolutely. also, they both came into our acting studio. I think they came in a couple of different times. But um, And the great part was that on my audition for days, they gave me, I think I was playing the role of Calliope. Because remember Calliope and Eugene? Sure. sure. <laughs> and they were just so crazy. And I knew I had watched the show. So I was very familiar with their characters. And I, I understood the role that I was reading. So I think mm-hmm. that helped me. But And what I also found amazing was that I was the first two times I was hired on that show, I was hired as a model. And that actually gave me hope because I, I thought to myself, wow, you know, I mean, I'm looking at so many of the actresses on that show and they were tiny and thin and I didn't look anything like that. And, and the fact that they would put me in as a model really kind of blew my mind. And then eventually I went... I was a, a, I was a model two times. The second time I was on, I was not with my castmates. So I, you know, I was I was hired. I think it was like the end of 1995. I did a scene, and then the next time I was on was like April of 1996, and I was by myself. And I remember I was a little nervous, and I looked directly at the camera like a, a deer in the headlights, and they kept it. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> and, and then and then I was hired as a reporter. 
Mm-hmm. And I and then after that, I was a police officer and that's what I stayed. And that's, you know, that became my thing. And and, and I eventually, you know, realized that this was the only thing I was ever going to do on that show. And that was fine with me. And I really just enjoyed it so much. Um, working on that show for me, obviously, was a totally different experience than what you experienced. But I can say that... I'm kind of happy looking back after everything that's happened in my life with the exception of having, I would like to have a larger social media following um, because, <laughs> Hey, you know, that could grow my podcast, but well, that's the thing that, you know, that's part of casting these days. What happened? Really? My telling me, yeah. He wow. said that's when they, uh, when they call an agent, they ask uh, how many, you know, how many followers do they have? Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. I didn't I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I like look back and I'm kind of grateful that I didn't actually have the success that I was seeking at the time because even though I did love acting, I really did love acting. The business which I tried very hard to I was always on time. I was always professional. I always chose, you know, the proper outfit to wear for whatever. I'd, I mean, I always took it very seriously, but the business mm-hmm. itself kind of made me sick. And I just, there were so many phonies and, you know, I mean, that's not to take away from obviously successful actors, but when you're, there's, it's, it can be such an ugly town. It can be an awesome town, but it can also be such an ugly town. And yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I'm grateful that I had the path that I did because First, I was an actor, and then I went into outside sales, and I sold a variety of products. And I think that both of those experiences um, kind of help me in doing what I'm doing right now, and and being able to just have a podcast and you know talk my ass off. But you know what? Right. I do want to talk to you a little bit before you go. Um, obviously, we're on the same page politically, and I'm just wondering, you know. Okay, we've got a new administration, and right now the Democrats pretty much have control. The, the Republicans mm-hmm. can still mess things up, but um, yeah. How are you feeling? Like, I mean, I, I mean, obviously we're relieved, but yes. moving forward, like, where, what direction do you think we're going in? Like, how are you feeling about this? Well, I feel good. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I felt, and everybody I talked to uh, since. Uh, on inauguration day, this felt a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. We, it was like it was like the air got fresher. Yeah. Uh, it was it was very interesting. I've been so concerned about the country for in ways that I hadn't experienced before, and mm-hmm. you know I experienced the '60s and and all of that, and mm-hmm. uh, and I was younger then, so it was a different kind of uh, uh, different kind of being upset and a little bit afraid for the country. But this time, uh, I, I was very afraid that we had we had lost our democracy mm-hmm. that uh it would only be if a second term happened for trump uh i really have no question that we would have lost the democracy agreed uh, would have been involved in a really hot civil war yeah uh, i'm afraid still could happen but not mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in the way we think of civil war i think it'll be a different kind of thing and right we that at, at some other time but um uh Yes, I'm very optimistic now. I think one of the things about Biden, uh, and I and I actually was a supporter of Kamala Harris early on. I was yeah. not a supporter of Biden, but uh, there are a number of things about him. One is his experience. I know everybody always rants and raves about you know, well, we need we need somebody who's not who's outside of politics. Yeah. Well, we just had that for four years. Exactly. I, work out for you you know <laughs> we don't need that we don't need a businessman running a business and running government are two entirely mm-hmm. different things yeah completely different and trump being the first 
uh, and only, I hope, ever uh, president who comes to the presidency who had not served in another office mm -hmm. or was not in the military, I think uh, you, you see that result as well. Yeah. Because those experiences being in public office and the military are, are government jobs, and you have to be responsible to the people in an mm -hmm. entirely different way. You have to make their lives better. Mm -hmm. If you're in business, you are, you are uh, you're concerned about the product, you're concerned about your stockholders, you should be concerned about your employees. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, that's not true in too many cases. Yeah. But it's a different experience than government. And uh, so I'm very optimistic. I think uh, Biden's absolutely right to take on COVID. We can't get the economy right until we get COVID right. Mm -hmm. And that's what all the distracted people that won't wear masks, that won't socially yeah. distance, that's what they're missing yeah. is that, you know, if you open up everything without certain safeguards, you're, you're just killing people. Mm -hmm. That's all. Yeah. You're killing people. And I understand their concern. If you're a small business, mm -hmm. if you're a restaurant, you, you just can't make money anymore. Right. We have a business and uh, we've yeah. been very, very lucky that that people have stayed with us. And we're, we've actually wrote this out in pretty good shape. But uh, if that if it had been if I had been a small business owner in, in a lot of other ways, in a lot of other places, um, you know, that would have been a real concern. My wife uh, is there uh, or works on the business every day, no longer going in because it's not necessary. But we have a, a building in South Pasadena um, that also is the home of the Fremont Center Theater. But um, we have 25 other tenants. Now, all those tenants have stayed with us. And every once in a while, because they can't make money, uh, you know, we have people leave. But then we've had people come in to take their Huh. places he's right you got to get hold of COVID, uh -huh. and that step one and he did that and out of the gate he reversed some of the most onerous of trump's executive orders yeah. uh you know uh, immediately uh -huh. which I, is also was right there wasn't one of those executive orders that i disagreed with the right, muslim yeah. ban of course was ludicrous uh -huh. and, and hateful uh you know the immigration uh reinstating daca uh, there, there's so many of these issues that are people-based, mm -hmm. and the previous administration just seemed to be anti-people. Yeah, in my mind, especially anti-poor people. Right, exactly. Especially poor people. If you were poor, they were going to come after you. Uh, mm -hmm. I heard a story. Uh, I think I was watching Morning Joe, and I think it was uh, Joe, who you know used to be a congressman from Florida, mm -hmm. and he was saying when they had the contract for America that Newt Gingrich, uh, in order to sell it to the other Republicans, came in and said, look, we're going to give this big tax cut to wealthy people. Mm -hmm. And the way we're going to pay for it is to cut uh, uh, Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, <sighs> you know, so rich people were basically building their fortunes on the back of poor people. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's been the Republicans wonder why, uh, you know, they've lost basically the last couple of election cycles. Well, that's the reason. Yeah. I mean, they're going to stay the party of white supremacists mm -hmm. and anti-poor and anti-education and uh, and only support the wealthy. They're doomed to failure. Yeah. Uh, I remember when they had liberals in the party and moderates in the party. And yeah. in the 80s and 90s, they went on a tear to get rid of the liberals and moderates, which eventually comes down, led them down the road to Trump. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if they want to stay on the Trump track, they will not ever be successful 
again. And I think that's sad. I think we need a good functioning Republican Party. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe we need it. But the party itself has to become more diverse. Yes, it's got to become more diverse, more responsible, and more honest. And yes. yeah, this white supremacy thing's got to go <laughs> because yes. I mean, yeah, it's, we, it's it's it's. I can't believe what I'm seeing, and it just makes me so angry every day. Because even though Biden is here and Trump is gone, um, it, the white supremacy thing is not going. It, it never went away. It's just that the the people who are racist ha, have now become emboldened, and they feel like they can do anything they want. Um, well, License. He Pardon gave me? them license. Yes, he did. He absolutely did. And it's interesting because you, like many other people, said, you know, Biden wasn't your first choice. He wasn't my first choice either. I vacillated. I mean, my first choice was Warren, but I was kind of one day I was Harris. One day I was Warren. One day I was Harris. One day I was, wasn't sure mm -hmm. just because, you know, one of those women would come up and, you know, whether it was a debate or something they said that made me go, oh, wait a minute. This one. I mean, I, 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 I like Warren because I like I'm a progressive Democrat that's pragmatic. And what I really like about Warren is that she doesn't attack the party, that she'll recognize yeah. that there In are Bernie, things. Bernie yeah, it, right. She recognized. And I was a fan of Bernie in 2016. I kind of lost. I, I like him now where he's in the Senate and, he, you know, I like him in the Senate. Um, I like to have progressives pushing the party. Because mm -hmm. I think it works, but I also feel like there's there's a line, and I think with Elizabeth Warren, I felt like she was able to do that where she wasn't attacking the party. She would point out problems and offer solutions, and they were like solutions that were practical and that could be done. And yeah. you know, you know, but she's a woman and blah 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 blah. But I look at what happened and the way that Biden. The way that it, I mean, I, I've shared this too. There's this woman in my grocery store. She's African American. I absolutely love her. I go to her every single time I buy my groceries, and we always talk about politics. And so, prior to like during the Democratic debates, I was all about Elizabeth Warren and and also Kamala Harris. She wasn't even a big fan of Kamala Harris, and I was like, why? Why don't you like her? And and she had said something like she felt as if. Oh God, that she was two-faced, which now she has changed her position on that. Uh, there was I, I, I don't remember the details. But at the time, when I was screaming about the two women, and I'm like, why aren't you supporting these women? She's like, no, it's got to be a white man. It's got to be a white man to, faith the, to face off the white supremacy. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to say I disagreed with her, but of course I was still for, I wanted a woman, I wanted it to be Warren or Harris. And then when it was... Biden. And as we were moving toward, you know, election day and then and then he won, I just I've said to her, I'm like, I give it to you. You were 100 percent right. And, you know, yeah. you have a perspective that I don't. I mean, I'm a woman, yes, but she was a black woman and I'm not a black woman. And so it's like I think, you know, she she's looking at this and and I got to say about her, I think she she's so sweet. Like there was this one time where I was in a, a, a line, she wasn't, I think she was going on break. I mean, she came over and hugged me, you know what I mean? Just like the grocery store woman. And like, we have this thing. We've, we've had this connection with politics and we okay. always get into it. Like we always, you know, we pretty much agree, but I feel like Biden has this singular, unique, um, uh, you know, he's compassionate. He understands empathy. He understands grief. He, he has, like you said, he has experience, which is incredibly important in this particular time in our history when Trump just trampled all over the constitution and has left everything burned down 
we have someone in there who worked with Obama. And when Obama had to take over from Bush and clean up that mess, you know, Biden was there. He was a really strong vice president and had more responsibilities than other, you know, former vice presidents. And I think that he's going, I think that the, um, I think he's going to do the same thing with Kamala. I think that he's going to give her a lot of responsibility and it's going to be more like a team than than the traditional roles. Because I well, do I, think, you know, she's going I to agree. be the nominee in 2024. I believe that that's probably I, I what's going so, to happen. Too. I think he's a one-term, a voluntarily a one-term yes. president. Agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there they're, they're none of her positive things about Biden. You know, the contrast even during the election uh, when I would see Trump do something and then go to Biden, I thought, well, this man looks like he's president. Yeah. Is that a, a, a buffoon, which he <laughs> yeah. is and was. And, um, you know, Biden's agenda, they came into this office without a lot of cooperation, but clearly had been working on different plans for different things. I think his proposal for the Relief Act, mm-hmm. uh, even though extraordinarily expensive, we need it. Yeah. This is a... T- this is one of those extraordinary times in American history. Uh, you know, if you put it together, a list of 10, this is going to be right up there. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the Depression, World War Two and 9-11 and the Civil War, this is going to be right up there this this time. Nobody has ever had to dig the country out of this type of mess. But Biden seems to be up to the challenge. His yes. team is extraordinary. He has already, I think, put together the most diverse cabinet mm-hmm. in the history of the country uh, and uh with people that are extremely qualified and i hate even having to say that it's because it sounds i know to some degree but uh, trump unleashed that yes that bigotry that lives uh, in the american character and um uh, biden is uh, I, I i think the man for the time i mean that yeah, that's really a is title but i actually think we have the man to meet the moment mm-hmm. yeah and in, it in makes your, me happy um, I actually believe that uh, she will be the first woman vice president, uh, woman president. I hope so. Uh, without, I, I, you know, I think she will be, even if she has to stand for election, because this time will give her. Um, right. Now her, her recognition is, is uh, nationwide. Yeah. And she made some key mistakes when she was running herself for president, but I, I'm sure she's learned for it, from mm-hmm. it. I hope so. And uh, and I think now serving as vice president for four years gives her uh, gives her the acknowledgement that she needs from all those people in the middle. Mm-hmm. We forget that most of the population mm-hmm. lives in, in the, the middle. middle. Yeah. And uh, most of them don't follow politics as you and I do. Mm-hmm. And so we need we need candidates who can fit those folks. Yeah. You know, I and uh, Biden has been drug more to the i don't think drug i think he actually kind of voluntarily has mm-hmm. gone more to the left yeah he but has with its abilities of a moderate uh-huh. and i think that's a good thing yeah and i, I mean i was gonna say yeah i think that he's got a very progress he's got a, a lot of progressive policies and yes. i mean my main concern is like will Amer- i mean america has a really hard time with women it has a hard time with women of color uh i and this is so superficial and not it shouldn't be, but I mean, I, I will say one of the things, I mean, aside from experience and knowledge and everything that you would need to be a leader that she has, she has all of that, but she's yes. good looking. And, you know, it's, it's never, like she's a nice looking, hurt. it never hurts. And the people in this, yeah. I mean, I, I am absolutely 100% convinced that if John F. Kennedy Jr. were alive, he would have been elected just 
because he was a hot babe. And, and oh, I'm yeah. not even kidding. I just, I'm not, I mean, he's smart. He definitely yeah. was smart and he knew what he was doing and he was a great Democrat. But I mean, he was so good looking that it was like a shoe win. You know, he, of course he was going to win if he decided to run. And I mean, I look at somebody like Kamala Harris and, you know, I mean, she really does check off so many of those boxes as far as yeah. capability, uh, the way that she's, I, I also, what I absolutely love about her and what I've always loved is there is this part of her that you could just, it, she's genuine and her smile is so warm. And, and she does not hesitate to show. And I think one yes. of the problems sometimes with women politicians is they feel they have to mimic men Yes, and they don't. And, and uh, sometimes much too serious about certain, Mm -hmm. uh, certain things in response. And I think one of the, one of the positives about Kamala Harris is that she does not hesitate to smile Mm -hmm. and laugh. And dance. She <laughs> she's I, there's like that crazy. video of her dancing in that rainbow jacket. I mean, she she's just so much yeah. fun. And she looks like somebody that would like for me, she looks like she could be somebody that would be my girlfriend, you yes. know, and, and, and relatable. So, yeah. yeah, I really hope that these four years, like you said, I think that, you know, whether he decides to step down in the middle of this term or if he stays until the end. I think that what he'll probably figure out a way, you know, he'll figure out a way or they will figure it out together to showcase her in, you know, so that people in middle America or I shouldn't say middle America, but like what you were saying, the people who are not political junkies are familiar with with her and her way and comfortable with her. Because yes. it's hard for, you know, you see people, most of them are conservatives, but I mean, I've seen women interviewed and saying, you know, do you think a woman should be president? And they say no, because she, they don't have the correct temperament. But it's like, hello, we just had a, a, to- a, a tantrum throwing toddler in there. And, and yeah. I don't know why yeah. the patriarchy is so strong in this country that so many people still don't have faith that a woman can do it. Yet you look at a place like New Zealand where a woman is running the country and there's no COVID cases. Well, look at, look at, look at, look at Germany, look at how yes. effective and, and she's had her ups and downs, but yeah. everybody does. And there for a while, mm-hmm. uh, especially during Trump's run, she was the world's top leader. Yeah, she was, you know, uh, certainly in the middle of Trump's term, mm-hmm. she became the, the number one leader in the world. Yeah. And she put a lot of the shots, especially for the West. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 that that argument just doesn't hold up under any kind of scrutiny no. at all. It just it isn't doesn't, there. But we're, we're not as evolved as we like to think we are. And so, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that that, you know, I mean, it was I'll never forget when Barack Obama won and that evening watching the footage of people all across the world dancing yes. in the streets. And I, I so specifically remember thinking, and I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily thinking in terms of gender um, as far as, you know, oh, I wish it were a woman. I wasn't thinking that. I was I was like jumping for joy. But I remember thinking uh, little black boys could now take a look at the president of the United States and feel yes. like I can do this. This is within my reach. And okay, so the same thing could be said with Kamala Harris. It's like little girls all over the country yes. can say, "I can do this." It's it's within my reach, and and they and they and little girls are have really taken it to heart. Yeah, which is, which and is, it makes me I mean, feel and so I good. mean little girls, eight, nine, yeah. ten year old girls are really taking it to heart. And it's so important. And it's just we've been through so much. This country has been through so much abuse, and it's been such a crazy wild ride. And I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm still nervous. I feel really good, 
but I'm nervous because the behavior of Republicans, there's, it doesn't seem to be any walk back. It doesn't seem to be no. like they're like, they want to shed themselves from this Trumpism. It's like, they're just embracing it and, and steamrolling. And I don't understand why, because they're, lo- you know, they've lost. I mean, they, d- he did get more votes than he got in 2016 and Democrats could have the other candidate in the history except Biden. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and you know, I mean, obviously we Democrats could have done better with the Congress. It it, it could have been a I, I don't understand why it wasn't just like a blue map. But um and that that makes me concerned, but it's just, you know, I mean ever since I've become a big mouth activist, podcaster, whatever, you know, liberal slut, <laughs> I um I always want to, you know, it's <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, I don't know if you know this, but um, part of my introduction to all of this is I started, I had my own blog. I was doing the Virgin Diaries and I was, I'm like, hey, I'm an author. Hey, I'm an author. And it was kind of, you know, I mean, I got some interviews and I, you know, but I wasn't getting where I wanted to be. And so on my personal blog, I remember my mom and I were talking and, and we were like, we wanted Rush Limbaugh to attack us because he attacked Sandra Fluke and called her a slut because she wanted to have uh, birth control uh, approved in her school and on her insurance programs. And so we were like, wow, you know, look, she's famous. Everybody knows her name. So if he attacks us, you know, our books are going to sell. And so I try, you know, I was trying to figure out an angle and it wasn't about that. It wasn't the Sandra Fluke thing. It wasn't, he attacked another woman who wrote a book about nutrition and so I wrote an open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut from my own personal blog. And that basically led to everything that, that, that led to me sitting in my chair right now talking on this microphone. I started doing political blogging. I started working, you know, as an advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. And I was, um, you know, I, 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 I've done a number of things, but I, I was the spokesperson because I wrote that blog, this woman, she's so cool. She approached me and she says, Hey, I have created this website and this, this page called rock the slut vote. And I want to know if you would be the spokesperson. And I remember thinking, you know, I was like, wow. And I, I talked to my parents and I'm like, do you think I should do this? And they're like, hell yeah, do it. <laughs> you know, and, and so I did. And it led to, I spoke at the Capitol a couple of different times. And, and then I became part of this group called we are woman. And you know, I mean, it was one thing led to another, but it was, yeah, I mean, that's the, the slut is kind of the, the slut term is we, the whole idea of rock the slut vote was to reclaim that word. Like, you're not going to call me a slut or if you want to call me a slut for enjoying sex and taking birth control, well, then color me a slut because F you, you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. ridiculous. And so, um, but yeah, that was kind of my introduction to all of this. And it's been such a wild and crazy ride. And it's like I said, I mean, I, my boyfriend is, uh, he's been writing politics, I think since 2000 and I don't know, early two thousands. And then he's a podcaster. Also, he used to work in radio. He's had a very, you know, he's done all kinds of things in his career. He's designed album covers for yes, but, um, he has a podcast and I was on his podcast a couple of times and it was funny cause we had come back to his family's from Virginia. I'm, I live in Maryland now. And so, um, my mom moved to Maryland and I, you know, moved. Pasadena. You're Pardon? in Maryland. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. That's not, that's not even close to Pasadena. It's not even close. I used to live in Glendale, but, and uh, Glendale, but then I moved, but then actually moved up to Northern California, lived there for eight years. And then my mother decided she was going to come back to Maryland. And so my, I had met my boyfriend and he is from Virginia 
and I thought, you know, I don't want to be far from my mom. And uh, so I said to him, you know, do you think you'd ever want to move back to the East Coast? And thankfully he said yes. And so this way I get, and now, you know, I mean, my father is here and my family is here. So I'm close to everybody and we're very close to DC. So it's kind of interesting what we're doing, but he, you know, he got me into podcasting and then he got me all set up to do it. And here I am talking to you. (laughs) That's great though. That's great though. Well, the nice thing about podcasting, you can do it pretty much from any place and anytime, anytime in, in what is an extremely crowded field, you can distinguish yourself. That means uh, you're doing something right. Well, yeah, and it's really, I've been having such an amazing time, and I'm grateful, like, people like you have said yes to me. You know, I've thought about inviting you in the past, but I thought, well, you know, he's he's doing that show, and he probably doesn't want to be political, and I'm pretty profane, which I've I've been I've been good on the show. I haven't really said too many curse words, but, um, you know, <laughs> well, you I... You see my tweets, I'm, you know, I'm not, I, try, I try to tread pretty lightly, right. but it's, at times you can't ignore things, and, and, uh, Truthfully, it's only been the last couple of years that I've been, uh, I was much more careful, but uh, with, you know, the, the danger of the country mm-hmm. slide away, I felt, I felt it necessary yeah. to be, uh, to be more outspoken. And the truth is there's a small, extremely small number of people that get upset and, mm-hmm. you know, you get things, I've gotten letters over the years and that sort of stuff. And I don't, I just don't really let it bother you. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're this like icon now you're like this i mean pe- people who don't watch days of our lives know who you are so yeah. i mean you're pretty you're pretty solid where you are and you've proved yourself time and again so but i i figured that you know you might not want to come on a show so i was very p- pleasantly surprised when you said yes and i thought yay because it's been it's like i think i i think i don't remember the last time that we worked together but i do know that I think the last day I worked on the show was I think around November 2002. So I don't remember if I worked with you on that particular day, but it's been mm-hmm. about, you know, like, what is it? 19 years or something like that. It's like 19 years or something like that since we've seen each other. And it's been a while. Yeah. But it was oh so fun talking to you and I'm so glad that I had this opportunity. It's just, you don't well, even know too. how much it tickles me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's great. I think it's great. I really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, let's do it again sometime down the road. Awesome. Well, absolutely. So before you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yes. Well, we talked about Twitter and all of that. And so they can do uh, uh, at, uh, I never know my address, <laughs> J. Reynolds James. J. Reynolds yeah. James. J. Reynolds James on Twitter. Awesome. So, you know, if they put in my name on your Twitter, we'll send them to the address. But right. Jay James. And then our Lisa uh, has our um, Instagram. And I think that's Lisa and James. Okay. Uh, at Lisa and James Reynolds. I think. And Lisa with two S's, right? Two S's. Exactly. Okay. And I, we never, and you know what, the next time you come back, we're going to talk about your theater because we didn't even get to that. And I, I went to your theater a couple times and I'll just tell you real quick, uh, the, I don't remember his name and you probably know him, but he played red on that 70s show. The dad, he was, he was there yeah. one night when we were yeah, seeing him play. Oh, he was there. His wife did a couple of our shows. Oh, okay. As a fact. And, uh, oh gosh, very nice man. Uh, we've had this same agent for years huh, now. Wow. Um, uh, uh, oh gosh, why can't I remember his name? It's a great name. Like <laughs> I Kingwood. know he's got a cool yeah. name, and I can't think of it. Kirk, Kirkwood, Kirkwood, Kirk, 
Kirkwood, Kirkwood Smith. Yes, I think. Kirkwood Smith. Yes, I, uh, I think, and I just always remember seeing him there and thinking, "Oh my God, there's yeah. red, there's red." But uh, that, you have such a cool theater. It's such a nice theater. Thank you. We 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 love it. We think we find it to be you know just a great. Uh, we find it to be one of the more comfortable theaters, and I'm saying that with as little prejudice as I can muster at the moment. But it's one of the most comfortable theaters, and everybody it likes is. working. Try to have. We try to keep that atmosphere light and, and easy to work in. And, uh, uh, you know, talk about diversity. One of the things that when even when somebody leases our, our space, uh, which they do periodically, and we have a, we have a, a company called Young Stars Theater that is now leasing it permanently. Uh, you know, we insist on diversity in the casting. Mm-hmm. And that, that has not been without its... Uh, it's issues sometimes mm-hmm. that people don't, don't really understand why I, I'm, I'm saying that a black actor should play a, a Russian detective. <laughs> but the audience is fine with it, and uh, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt the text or the message of the right. of the. And you know, it's uh, it, it enhances it if, if anything, and and that's been a lesson for a lot of people to learn. And but fortunately, we've uh, stuck with it, and we tend to when we're doing a show. We tend to cast nice people. I actually put somebody out in the uh, hmm. in the lobby so they can tell me who's uh, who's who's a jerk or not. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know what? I will say, going around to LA theater, your theater is com- it's comfortable, but it's beautiful, and it's so many places in Los so many theaters in Los Angeles are kind of. I'm just going to say they're kind of junky and yours is not yours is very classy. It's, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful location. I love Pasadena. South Pasadena is just so beautiful. I loved it there. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed being a guest at the theater. And one of these days we're going to go back to California. So I'll, yeah. you know, when COVID is over and I'll have to look up and see yeah. whatever's playing there and come see a play there. Cause it was so much fun. Well, right now young stars theater has it, but we, we, we may produce. Oh, something. I see. We have, okay. We have, plans to do it but then equity uh, has their new rules which makes it very difficult and Hmm. we've had friends who have been producing shows for years and years and years who have now sadly had to had to stop and leave because they've added probably 25 to 30 percent to the cost of a production and uh, for those who know uh what they used to call equity waiver uh you know those shows aren't cheap to put on i mean you're you're talking 20 to 30 thousand dollars a production at minimum right. these days, and um, uh, equity kind of delivered a, a, a blow to us because now it's and and I the sad thing is I agree with the essence of it the uh, the it's California minimum wage but it starts with the first table read mm-hmm. and goes all the way through so you're in every every rehearsal and um, it's just very difficult mm-hmm. most we're lucky we have the building. Uh, we own the building in which the theater is in. We're fortunate because we yeah. know the landlord. <laughs> we yeah. are the landlord. And, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, those places that have to rent a space, you know, yeah. they're paying anywhere from 2000 to $10,000 a month for rent. Wow. That, then you put on top of that production costs, it mm-hmm. could run up to fifty, sixty thousand $60,000. That's very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. If you're, you're limited to 99 seats. Yeah. And never make it up in this. And with this new rule about payment, they said, "Oh, you can charge anything you want." Well, that's fine, but who's going to pay a hundred dollars a seat to go see an equity waiver show? Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. So it's it really put 
put us in a bind and it put a lot of actors and writers mm -hmm. and directors because that's where they can play. One, if you are fortunate enough to be a working actor, you can go to Equity Waiver and play the roles you've always wanted to play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In scripts you've always wanted to do. If you're a writer, you could put your, yeah. your show up that you've been having difficulty and let people see it. If you're a director, you can, you can, your work is there for mm -hmm. people to see. And, um, you know, there's New York actors like to, uh, like to keep talking about LA theater as showcase theater. Well, so is New York theater, yeah. you know, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's ridiculous and we shouldn't be fighting ourselves no. in, in this business, which is always aspirational. Yes. We're in an aspirational business. We all want not only the next job, but we want the better job. Mm -hmm. We want the better role, the better scripts, the better directors. And uh, so when we put uh, roadblocks in front of ourselves, I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, I totally agree. And before you go, I'll just add that I remember, you know, uh, there was this idea that people in New York were so much more sophisticated than people in Los Angeles. And I remember in 2011, or no, I'm sorry, 2001, I actually was in New York. I came home on September 10th, 2001, and I flew home from Newark airport, like the night before 9-11. And, but I remember my experience there. I mean, I, I went to go stay with a girlfriend of mine who was an actress and she had a bunch of actress friends and actor friends. And you know what? It was the same. It was the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like Excellent. actors are actors and attitudes are attitudes and you're either a nice person or you're a jerk. And that's basically yeah. what it's about. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> exactly. And you need, you know, you have experience or you don't, or you have talent, yeah. or you don't. And, uh, you know, the same, you, you drag the same thing with you, uh, wherever you go. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of have that going on now with, with British actors is not that they're, they're not, they're not anywhere near as annoying as New York actors. <laughs> and most are very, very nice people. But uh, there's, you know, a thing that goes through the industry that, that somehow thinks that, that the talent level is, is greater. It isn't. It's right. just what you're offered and what you can do and yeah. who you cast. And, and uh, you know, good actors. Every place has good actors. Every place has good writers and good directors. And, you know, I, to be honest, uh, in television and film, as in theater, most roles call for somebody who's very good mm -hmm. or who's good yeah. to very, uh, you know, and sometimes some actors can get their hands on something that's fantastic. That's yeah. great. Uh, and if they can more power to them, but, uh, you can't, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that this group of people has more involved. I, I, I watched, um, uh, Bridgerton the other day, uh, we watched, we've been to the whole thing. We got to go to, you know how that is. Which, which show did, <laughs> which show did you watch? Uh, uh, the Bridgerton on, on uh, Netflix. Oh, okay. Uh, it's the, uh, Shonda Rhimes produced it. It's a costume drama okay. uh, set in England. And it's, it's maybe the most, uh, diverse, uh, costume drama I've ever seen. Hmm. The leads were the leads, no matter who they were, whether they were black or Hispanic or white. And, you know, yeah. the cast is extremely diverse. There was no real attention paid to the fact that these people look different than these other people. Yeah. And male lead, I have heard men and women 
explain this guy is very attractive guy it's just it's just so uh you know it's astounding i've heard so many straight men say that guy's really good <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and um that's the way it should be. If yes. you get a chance to see it, watch it. Okay. It, it's, it's very well done and well acted. And uh, uh, it, it's wonderful. And it shows it shows how the world should be. Yeah. As far as as far as casting is concerned and writing is concerned. You just they just wrote they put together a really good idea. Uh, most of the episodes are really well written and um and, and you know, wonderful actors just doing the role, no matter yeah. what their ethnicity is. And right. nobody, nobody uh, pays attention to it hmm. after the first couple minutes. Yeah, uh, and that, and and that's as it should be. Yes, uh, watch it, watch it. Okay, I will. I absolutely, and I just actually followed you on Instagram, so I'm going to include that in the uh, description of the show. So that's a, you have a fun Instagram page. So yay! But thank oh, you, thank you again for coming on my show. I really yeah. love talking to you. Oh well, I just had a great time, and uh, <laughs> it's just really wonderful. And yeah, let's run this back sometime. Awesome. Well, I will. I will be in touch. So you take okay. care. You stay safe. All right. Very cool. Yes, you too. And I hope you're masking and distancing. Oh, I am. I'm the most paranoid oh. person in the world. So yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you, you take care. All right. You too.